Let's go. This is Honey LeBronx, the vegan drag queen, and I'm with SoFlo Vegans. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. My pleasure. And today I'm not doing it by myself, and you've heard her voice plenty of times on the podcast. We have Alba Mendez. Hi, guys. Your social media coordinator for SoFlo. And I'm Trini Champion. <laughs> Yeah, I have to say I'm already, uh, as a podcast host myself, I am a host of Big Bat Vegan Radio. Nice. Uh, I'm very envious of your setup. You guys have like, this is like a real deal. Mine is just like, my bed's in the corner, <laughs> I, you know, the laundry everywhere. This is, there's no laundry. And that's, that's the benefit of living here in South Florida. We have uh, this amazing studio located in Wynwood. Yeah. So if you're ever in the area, check out HGAP Studios. They are a really good group of people. Come by, take a tour. If you want to do a quick video shoot, you want to do a podcast, this area is open for rent. So Damn. come check them out. And that um, commercial is over. <laughs> so we're here to talk about you and fascinating what you're doing for the vegan community the fundraisers that you put on, mm -hmm. the podcast that you have, you have a cooking channel. So this is these are the things that we want to step into, as well as look at the LGBTQ community yeah. and see that crossover with the vegan community because it's there's a lot of awareness that's out there that's being generated by both communities and you represent, or you are a representative of both. So. Let's start with that, and then we'll go into your origin story, your X-Men origin sure. story. So what is it like being a representative in both of those communities? Like, what are, the, what are some of the overlaps that you see? Interesting. Well, uh, I, I, think, I think it could be said for most people who are like gay vegans, if you will, that uh, it should be expected that because I have seen oppression, because I have seen the receiving end of bullying. I have seen people um, condone and mock and trivialize my, I hate to use the word suffering with everything else that's going on in the world today, but I think back to middle school and the locker room and bullying and whatnot, and not just the stuff I've experienced personally, but what I know people of my community have experienced. And I would expect that people in my community could naturally draw that, it could naturally uh, make the connections between what is done to us and then what we in turn do to animals. Mm. Uh, so as I always say, you know, when I do my, uh, I'm, I have, I have to warn you right now, I have ADHD and it's going to be very apparent. So I might do some jumping around, but if I can find my way back from the tangents, mm -hmm. That means the Wellbutrin is working. So um, I would say um, when I do, which I'll talk more later about my fundraiser shows, but when I tour doing my fundraiser shows, I often uh, try to include an organization from the LGBTQ community as well as a animal rights-based uh, organization. Mm -hmm. And I love after I give each organization a chance to speak about what they do, after the LGBTQ group goes, and then after the vegan group goes, I like saying to the audience, like, now make some noise if you agree with the saying, be the change you want to see in the world. And everyone, of course, clapped at that. They're like, yeah, be the change. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, and I know that if I am going to sit here and ask people for my freedom and my equality and for my, you know, respect, 
I have to then grant that in turn to someone else. Mm -hmm. So the next guy down who suffers, the next person who I'm keeping down or who I am contributing to their suffering, if I want people to alleviate mine, I have to alleviate theirs. And that's just why I don't eat animals. Mm -hmm. And I love to leave people with that because who can argue with that? That's, that's a, I mean, that's a good way to look at it. And, and what I like about that is you don't have to be um, part of the LGBT, LGBT community to get that. Because there's a lot yeah. of, there's a lot of um, shared experience with any sort of oppression or any sort of obstacles or challenges that someone might face that yeah. you can hear your message and it expands to a larger audience. So, you know, I'm glad that you were able to share that. And I know Alma here, you have a lot of questions. So I'm going to let you, you chime in. Well, first of all, I want to uh, say that I had no idea that, I'm sure there was, but I never even thought about it, that you could have vegan veganism and in the gay community as well. I mean, I know mm-hmm. a couple, but then on top of that, you're a performer, which is extremely fascinating. I see yeah. a couple snippets of your show, and it looks like so much fun. You have <laughs> a lot of energy. I I do. Well, the uh, the energy just comes from not being able to turn my brain off and never really thinking uh, that I've done a good enough job. So I'm always like, let me do more. Let me do more stuff. Yeah, it's very fascinating. I really enjoyed it. And to prepare for this podcast, I started looking a lot of the uh, the competition show from RuPaul's Drag Race, just yeah. so I can familiarize myself a little bit with the with the drag culture with some of the. Uh, uh, terminology like fish and some of the the drag queens that are in the mainstream at the moment. Like yeah. uh, I think I have to say my favorite is definitely Shangela. Oh my God. And, uh, Alexis Mateo. I really yes. Like <laughs> oh my God. I really enjoyed her. Her bam. Bam. Probably oh my God. Not giving her justice. And Shangela, uh, her name alone is like so thrilling. Uh, like yeah. Latifa Laquifa Wadley. Shangela Laquifa Wadley. Yes, it's very fascinating. Like the way that you can transform yourself and entertain a crowd and keep up the level of energy and it, and it, it looks like it takes on like a lot of work especially the taping the shaving the waxing the makeup i was like wow thank you for this I there, it took two hours but you guys take literally a whole day to prepare i mean i first off there's a reason they don't call us comfort queens <laughs> it is a drag it is work uh, and the thing about drag queens, this is actually why I think photographers love working with drag queens, because as a drag queen, you will be approached by so many photographers, so many like filmmakers, so many artists who are drawn to drag queens as subjects, because as a drag queen, I am my own makeup artist, I am my own hair person, I am my own director, producer, stylist. You know, we are, you're like a, a, a one man show, we do everything. But uh, as much fun as it looks, I am having as much fun as it looks like I'm having when I'm uh, on stage in a show, um, unless I'm faking it, in which case I'm enjoying faking it. Um, But uh, it's work. Like what I do is actually work, Um, especially considering uh, I am producing my own tour. I am making my own opportunities and there's just no rest for the wicked. There is no... Uh, my phone never stops. I'm never off work. You know, when I was a kid in high school, I used to romanticize the idea of being an adult because I'm like, you know what? Being an adult must be so much easier because when you get home from work, you're just home from work. There's no homework. You don't have, you just, you're just done. You've turned off work and now you can just relax. And I'm like, 
oh my God, you have bills and then, you know, all the side hustle and everything else you have to do. But it is, it is a lot of work. Um, yeah. Well, let's start with that then. How did your experiences, first of all, let's start with when did you become a vegan before we go into the drag? Well, I wouldn't use the word vegan because I'm not completely vegan yet. I am working on it. Um, I feel like as long as I know where my food comes from, I think that's what's important. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. The look on your face is so precious. <laughs> right. No, thank you. <laughs> I love, I love doing that. I will, um, I, I give a speech in Berlin on what I call pro intersectional veganism. And afterwards in the Q and A people are like, how long have you been vegan? I'm like, well, I'm not vegan yet, but I am working on it. I just do like, everything has to be free range. He got me guys, he got me. Everything shows in my face for the ones who can see me on camera. I, I was already processing in my head. Well, I mean, at least he does like, a lot of work for the vegan community. And uh, well, spend, my next question will be. <laughs> I love how as vegans, like we've kind of trained ourselves to be like okay everyone's on their journey you know you know what with that said i mean first off i've been vegan uh, uh, uh november 12th it's either november 11th or 12th i remember it's joe i won't say his last name's birthday and he's like he is the pierce morgan to my vegan he like the day i went vegan he was so mad about it and so on social media like you don't get to have opinions you've only been vegan for four months you can't say blah 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 and now every year it's like, happy birthday, Joe. I'm another year vegan. So November 12th was um, nine years. So far, so, wow. Yeah, I can't believe, I can't believe it's been that long. Uh, I mean, and I'm from Wisconsin. When people are like, oh, oh my God. I could, I could never, I could never go vegan. I'm like, oh, let me guess, because you're from a place where a certain people are from and they have like a certain culture that involves food that involves animals oh just like um um everyone else <laughs> on the planet like everyone i could never be vegan because i'm cuban i can never be vegan because i'm from the south because i'm italian i'm like bitch i'm from wisconsin okay <laughs> oh and when i say uh, when i say bitch i mean it in a way that's demeaning to women <laughs> okay no no just to be clear so no one is like i don't understand what he meant um that's a joke from my show it just works it works in the show you're pretty much in from dairy country wisconsin yeah. that's where most of the big biggest uh fa far factory farming for yes. cows exists uh, there's a saying like welcome to wisconsin like oh smell that dairy air because it just there's cows and farms everywhere i'm actually my mom is a famous cheesecake celebrity where I come from. My oh, mom wow. is Susie of Susie's Cream Cheesecakes. And my dad ran, they wouldn't call it a German restaurant, but like my dad's side of the family is mostly German. So it's a very German influenced um, restaurant that was very popular in, in Milwaukee. And uh, so I tell people, I'm like, no one is more meat and potatoes and cheese than me. I, I did not become a vegan because animals didn't taste good to me anymore. I didn't become a vegan because I didn't love food. Literally, I'm that person. There are two, before I was vegan, there's two words that used to just piss me off if I heard them. Vegan and sober. If anyone was though, I'm like, why? Why would you, why would you be either of those two things? And now I'm 10 and a half years sober, nine years vegan, like, I, I am, if there's anyone who was never going to be either of those things, it's me. You're woke. Yeah, I, I well, I, I think no man's woke who thinks he is. So, like, I will let you say that I'm woke. That right. you might think, oh, that sounds very white. Will Rogers said no man's great who thinks he is. So, I'm just borrowing 
But um, yeah, so I feel like I'm a little all over the place. But yes, no, uh, I'm right. from a famous dairy family. So I mean, I, I, I bring your excuses. I, I've, I've, I've met someone who has done it. You know, Was yeah. that hard for them when you took the plunge? Mm, of all the things I've ever had to come out as, I feel like vegan was probably hardest. You know, uh, 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 not so much. I think, you know, it's interesting. When I, when I first went vegetarian, which I went vegetarian for about six months, but only as a stepping stone to going vegan. I, I never went vegetarian thinking that would be enough. Um, when I first went vegetarian, I actually knew already that vegetarians actually cause more suffering because when you replace your meat consumption with dairy and eggs, mm -hmm. those two things are more cruel than any. There's like a cruelty quotient Wait. somewhere online. Somewhere online you can see ranked all the animal, I hate to call them products, but all the animal um, bodily parts or secretions, they rate them, rank them in terms of which cause the most suffering to the animal and dairy and eggs cause the most. Mm -hmm. So I knew that by leaning heavier on dairy and eggs to substitute my consumption of muscle tissue, like I'm just gonna call it what it is, it's muscle tissue and bodily fluids, but uh, I knew I was causing more suffering. But during that time, I feel like my family had a harder time with it because it's such a blurry line, vegetarian. It's like, well, you can eat this, right? Well, you can eat that, right? Well, what about fish? Well, what about chicken? Well, it's just chicken broth. There's no meat in it. Um, or like, oh, like the thing that pushed my mom over the limit is one day she made some sort of bowl of punch and it was made with jello in it. Um, just the powder, like it wasn't gelled, whatever. And I remembered saying, oh, when I go vegan, I won't be able to have that. And that's, she's like, oh, well, for <laughs> God's sake. And I was like, having to guess what's okay for the vegetarian and what's not was a lot of mental acrobatics for people. The day I went vegan, it was just such a cut and dry thing. They're like, oh yeah, well that, in, that has animal byproducts or well that involves the use of an animal. It was very clear to people suddenly. Mm -hmm. Honey is always a surprise to people. They're always like, oh, honey is not vegan. And I'm like, honey, the Bronx is the only vegan honey that there is out there. That's <laughs> it. So we talked a little bit about, you know, the crossover between the vegan community. Actually, I want to ask you a question. Something yeah. you said that out of all the things you had to come out with, come out as vegan was one of the hardest. Yeah. Uh, would you want to, could you go into that? Because that was an interesting statement you made. Well, I mean, first of all, like my family was never sitting around just expecting that, you know, one day he's going to come out as a vegan. I mean, come on, look at him. The writing's on the wall. You know, that probably was the case for other things. I mean, I think my parents were like, we were just waiting for the day that you were going to tell us that you're gay. In fact, they beat me to it. They asked me out of the closet. Um, and like the drag queen thing. I mean, like, come on. I mean, from the time I was a little kid, I was always playing with my mom's makeup or like playing with my mom's clothes and playing dress up and like dolls and stuff like that. So my family was ready for me to become something that was uh, out of the ordinary. Uh, so coming the day I came out as a drag, well not came out, but I shared the first time I did drag, I shared a picture with one of my sisters and they showed my mom. They're like, Oh my God, mom, mom started to cry when she saw that picture. And I was like, really? Why? She's like, she said, oh my God, he's always been such a beautiful man, but he's such a beautiful woman too. Mm. Like they were like gushing. They were so happy about that. My dad, growing up, my dad used to always talk about drag queens. Like spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the crying game, 
she's really a man in the end of the movie, which I haven't seen the movie, but why bother now? Because everyone ruined it for me. <laughs> but my dad saw the movie. He's like, Ben, you have no, you have no idea. You, she, you, the whole movie, you would have thought she, you would have known she was a woman. The hands though, the hands. That's, that's how you know. Look at the hands. That's always a giveaway. But, and then my dad's brother is gay. My uncle Gary and his partner Barry. So for Christmas, Gary and Barry. we're going to Gary and Barry's for Christmas. I mean, come on. Like I was... If you can become gay by environment, I had everything working for me. Um, but uh, my dad's brother would take him and my mom to this like drag restaurant where all the waiters are. And from the sound of it, these were probably more trans women. But back then, we didn't really know the difference between that, or at least he didn't. And he was coming home and like, oh, my God, Ben, you wouldn't believe it. All the waiters, they, they looked like real women. There's no way you could tell the difference. He was just obsessed with. And one day we're in church and uh, I was drawing a picture of Bart Simpson. I got really good at drawing Bart Simpson and Ninja Turtles. Mm -hmm. So I was drawing Bart Simpson and my dad's looking down at me during church. He's like, that's a very good Bart Simpson. He's like, can you draw Bart as a is a clown? And I'm like, yeah, all right, try that. Can you draw Bart as a ninja? And I'm like, OK, yeah. And he's like can you draw Bart in drag? And I'm like, what's drag, dad? And he's like, well, son, drag is when a man dresses up like a woman. So I'm like, I guess so. And I start drawing Bart in drag. Like, this was how I was told what drag is by my dad <laughs> during a drawing exercise in church. Very interesting. So I think my dad was really excited that it's kind of like this is his version of like his son grew up to be a quarterback, <laughs> which is like a football term, I guess. That's the kicky throwy ball. The, that one yeah, yeah you know when people ask me about sports like you're from wisconsin are you a packers fan i'm like i'm like i'm not into sports they won't leave it alone they're like oh come on at least you like the packers though right they won't back off until i say packers that's the football the kicky throwy ball that's when they leave me alone they're like oh you don't get it at all <laughs> i get it it's kind of like me when they say uh because i'm from south america but when you say american football i have no idea for me football is football yes i have foot no ball football <laughs> you know we have the little accent football but f with football i'm like that's not football and then i was like i get the death glares i get the dagger eyes yes. I'm sorry, I don't understand. All I know about American football is that you have a bunch of guys running after a weird shaped ball and then they fall on top of each other. And, and then somebody does this. It's not their, a ball. With their arms. It's up. not a ball. It's, I don't know what you call that shape, but it's not a ball and it's mostly played with your hands, <laughs> not with your feet. Yep. As opposed to football, which is an actual ball and you only play it with your feet. In fact, you're not allowed to touch it with your hands. I, I don't know. Look how much I know about sports all of a sudden. <laughs> you know what? Let's move Most... on before we continue to offend I just more football players. People are, you, you have to make peace with something right now. I'm going to start a lot of stories today and I'm just never going to finish them. <laughs> like I'm, I'm going to go off on some tangents. So yeah, let's move on. What, what else do you want to talk so, about? So after, you know, it looks like you got a lot of support more than some people get nowadays when they, they come out or anything like that. But your family was very accepting. They were very accepting of you uh, being a, a performer. But then when it comes to the vegan thing, they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa there, buddy. Well, no, I would say they were all pretty supportive of that. I mean, it's... I, I guess, I don't know, if, if vegans experience, that's a whole different conversation. Do vegans experience microaggressions? I've never thought of that. But I think if anything, what I get are microaggressions from them. So from my mom, mm. she my, my whole family's up open for the vegan thing. They all think it's awesome. None of them have gone vegan as a result, which I kind of view that not quite as a microaggression, but it's like, if I have served as any example, like, y you know that it's an ethical thing. You know I feel it's wrong. You continue to do it in front of me. So on some level, there's that. There's a lack of 
agreement like yes that's right for me as well um even if they know morally it's it's what's right there they have all their excuses um from my mom my mom will not eat tofu seitan tempeh soy milk non-dairy butter if it is in her mind a vegan quote substitute for an animal-based product she will not go near it. Mm. Uh, I don't know if it's a pride thing or if she, to her, she's grossed out by it. She's grossed out. I had her eat some um, uh, vegan chicken once and like, she was like, no, I don't want it. This is the first time I ever realized this about my mom. She's like, no, 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 no I don't like anything. That's and I had her try it and she, the look on her face, like I was like, oh, my mom is suffering through this. And she's like, can I, can I spit it out now? Can I spit it? And she spits it out. And I'm like, uh, from my mom, who I've always thought is this big foodie, like you're not terribly adventurous. My dad will try anything. Mm. My dad loves it. I mean, he won't make the switch to it instead of what, but anything I make that's vegan, he he loves, he thinks it's great. He loves, I, I could take my dad to a vegan restaurant and he would see it as an adventure. My mom, as soon as we talk about where to go, she's like, well, can we go somewhere where I can eat? And I'm like, you can eat. That's the thing about a vegan restaurant. Everyone can eat in a yeah. vegan restaurant. <laughs> Well, you're challenging her, um, her, her food. You're challenging maybe her culture, maybe her memories. I, I do. She once asked me, she's like, well, so how do you feel about what we do for a living? And I was like, I wish it didn't involve harming animals. But I'm like, listen, I didn't go vegan so I could turn back and fix my parents. Like, I went vegan so that I can go forward and make a change outwardly. You know, I feel like it's so tempting to want to learn things about the world and then go back and give them to your parents. But it's like, that's not the, that's not the order life goes in. It goes forward. You don't regress and mm. jump back into the womb. And like, I learned a lot. Now let's, you know. Let's start over. Yeah. But uh, and from my dad, if there's anything that I get as a microaggression or a disagreement about drag, I mean, about veganism. It's that um, I remember like I bought something once and I brought it home from the store and I'm unwrapping it and I'm peeling off the plastic. He's like, well, that defeats the purpose. It's vegan, but you have all this plastic around. And I'm like, that's not what do you think this is about? Like, mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, there's it's not I'm not vegan because I love the earth so much. I mean, the earth and I were on speaking terms, but <laughs> I, I went vegan because I want to stop harming animals. I don't think my dad was quite intelligent enough to make the leap from plastic and microplastics and how those do harm the animals and how unless you are zero waste you are contributing towards animal suffering because you are destroying i don't think that's what he meant my dad is just paranoid about plastic and turns out it's like oh you're kind of right <laughs> after all um i hate admitting my dad was right after all because my dad is something of a prepper kind of like mm. you know it's it's coming we gotta be ready and uh but you know what i realized i'm like if it should come to it and I need a bunker in the Northwoods of Wisconsin, I've got one. Yeah. So, hey, he's working on that. But um, but that's that's sort of the flack that I'll get from my dad is he'll 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 he's eager to want to point out like the moral inconsistencies in what I'm doing. And I'm like, that's not why I'm doing this. But yet he won't make the change. Right. Right. I'm yeah. Yeah, I'll leave him alone. <laughs> So you, so uh, you mentioned a thing a couple of times and I'm familiar with the term, but the microaggression, microaggression. Could yeah. you explain that to um, someone who may not have know that? Potential? I don't know if I can. I, I, uh, gosh, microaggressions. How do I say a microaggression? So a microaggression, I guess I would describe it. And this is coming from a cisgender white male who does not have 
the best understanding of what microaggressions are, or, or I don't know that I can really describe it as well, but I'll, here, I'll, I'll give it a chance. Microaggressions are the uh, more frequent, less obvious, perhaps less noticeable um, manifestations of racism, sexism, homophobia, etc. The things that uh, it's almost like sexual harassment where you can't, it's hard to prove and it's hard to point to the obvious examples of it, but things, oh God, uh, I, I, I cue a YouTube video that explains it because I've seen it explained so well, but I, I think there, here's a good example I saw. I saw a video that explained it and there was um, a black woman talking about people asking to touch her hair. Okay. Now that's not, first of all, if people don't know this at home, do not touch <laughs> A black woman's hair like really don't touch anyone who you don't have permission to touch but like especially that um and uh I, i'm not gonna name names but god bless her but there's someone in my life who we got in an elevator once and it was just a black mom and her daughter and then this person and i get on the elevator and they see the daughter and they're like your hair's so pretty and that alone <laughs> is like thank you and then there's this pause and then they went in for it and it, it happened in slow motion. You guys, I couldn't, the hand goes out to touch. That is a microaggression. That is not something that the person thinks that they are doing uh, maliciously or with any bad intent, but like what you are doing causes suffering to the other person. It causes them to feel like I am other. I am exotic to you. I am, I'm not being seen as an equal. I'm not being seen as a person. But it's not something that like you could lose your shit over because someone else would be like, oh, that that's just a little tiny thing. It's like mosquito stings. It's like a, it's like getting stung every day by a hundred mosquitoes. Mm -hmm. And finally, one of them is the thing that just puts you over the edge. That is the worst explanation <laughs> ever of microaggressions, but that's sort of how I understand no, but I under, it. I understood it perfectly yeah. because, I mean, as vegans, we I'm sure Sean has experiences as well that they're looking at you and then they're like, wait, you don't eat this? You don't eat that? Oh, but but how do you live? You know, those I are like, those. Yeah. Uh, very well, thank you. Yeah. Or when we tell them that we don't eat bacon and quote unquote bacon is life and then they're looking at us like we are Martians coming out of somewhere. So are you, are you, are you feel, you, you are like, you have a stomach ache or you feel sick. It's like, Oh, okay. So, you know, that's vegan. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, yeah. I had never thought of that vegan microaggressions, but God, that's like a whole oh, episode. Yeah. I could do that on my podcast, a whole episode on vegan microaggressions. <laughs> But yes, we definitely get a lot of those things. But due to the due to that, your you know your mom being like this big cheese person mm -hmm. in, in Wisconsin, what made you open up this YouTube channel that you just teach people how to cook? Well, let's see. Uh, I guess oh, the backstory for that is like what had me go vegan in the first place, and blah blah blah. So I went vegan because a friend of mine who is sort of like a psychic police detective, he's my spiritual mentor in a way. He's my friend, John Oliver, not John Oliver from The Daily Show. This is way before there was that John Oliver. He used to be known as the teenage psychic. You can find him, johnjoliver.com, I believe it is. And you know how they say when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. He's just always been there in my life with lessons when I'm ready for them. And one, and I always loved these lessons he taught me about, like how to be in the moment and, you know, how to fast and, you know, just stuff like that, how to meditate. And 
one day the lessons started turning towards veganism. I remember thinking, nah, that's real loss for me. Nah, like we have reached an impasse. Like, best of luck to you. Thanks for everything. And I remember hearing this voice in my head saying like, I remember saying, oh, I could never be vegan. And then this voice in my head was like, says who? Mm-hmm. Like I was challenged. I was like, I could be vegan. I'm like, who says I can't? And he just recommended a book called The Face on Your Plate by Jeffrey Musayef Masson. Masson, however you pronounce it. And it wasn't gross or graphic or scary. It was just the saddest thing I ever read. And it reconnected, for me, it reconnected what I was eating with who that used to be Mm. and what their life would look like had I never come along and interrupted or what their life would look like if we were to set them free or what their life looks like because we don't set them free. And once I had all that information in my head, I remember, I remember thinking like, you know what, I'm going to be vegan, but like with a cheat day once a week, so like once like the opposite of meatless Monday, like one day a week, I can eat whatever I want. And when that day came, I remembered going to order something and I didn't know what else to get. So I was like, can I have that with like a pad thai with like chicken in it? I guess I never would have ordered chicken in a pad thai. But at that moment, I remember thinking, I don't want to eat chickens. They do this and they do this. And suddenly I knew who I was talking about. And I was like, I don't want to eat that person because animals are people too. Mm. I consider people, uh, you know, if you switched my brain with a cat's and suddenly my brain was in a cat's body, would I stop thinking of myself as a person? No. So like the body doesn't make the person, you know what I mean? Like the, the being an individual makes one a person. So animals are people too, and I don't eat people. So, um, <laughs> but uh, that's when I started with, that's when I became um, vegan. Well, that's when I became vegetarian and then worked towards going vegan. But the day I went vegan, I was living in Brooklyn. I was living in Sunset Park, Brooklyn. And not the nice part of Sunset Park, which is only nice because it's close to Park Slope, which is very vegan. I was like closer to Bay Ridge. There's just nothing. Very neighborhoody, but like not like grocery store, just like houses. And it was like maybe a 15-minute walk to a grocery store at the time of night that I would be wanting to eat. Mm. So when I went vegan, it was like, okay, you're hungry. It's late at night. Great. What's in the cabinets? I had to learn to cook. And when someone, you know, when I hear about things like Satan, I remember thinking like, I just, I'm just not going to pay for that off of a shelf. Like what, what is it? Tell me how to make it. Like, I just was more fascinated with how can I make those things myself? And I leaned on YouTube for that. And I didn't find videos that they were either, uh, really engaging personalities or they had good information or they had good production values. I remember thinking like, what if I had just become a drag queen around the same time? I remember thinking, what if I'd made videos like as a drag queen showing people how to cook? The minute I thought of it, I'm like, that is the best idea anyone's ever had. And um, so I just got the idea to do it. And uh, yeah, God bless people. People are like, oh, I saw your episode on Satan. I'm like, could you not? That I, I had been a, I had been a drag queen for like maybe a year, <laughs> not even. This was back in the dark ages before all you had to do to be a drag queen was watch RuPaul's Drag Race, watch a couple drag makeup tutorials on YouTube, take your pick. This was back when like you had to go through an ugly phase. You had to try drag makeup then go out, then see what other queens are doing, then make an adjustment the next time you go out. You had to be ugly for at least a couple of years until you figured it out. Nowadays, you can just become a drag queen in like two months. But uh, so that's what had me do the uh, channel. 
And uh, I will let you ask me the next question because I'm sure we were going somewhere with that. No, that's very good. That's why we wanted to know why did you start because you saw yeah. that there was a need for it and you filled it. Somebody who had good production value, somebody who had good recipes, and somebody who can actually cook and drag and not get dirty. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, uh, I just I wanted that resource to be out there for people. And specifically, I've kind of steered away from this now, but at the time, the mission behind my drag a cooking show was specifically, I want to make veganism accessible to people who don't live next to a Whole Foods, for people who can't just run out and find seitan, for people who can't just run out and find almond milk, which you can find almond milk anywhere nowadays. But I wanted to be able to like, for all these things that you think you need a specialty store, I want to be able to show you how that's made. Now, I've not, like, I always thought the cooking show was going to be the thing I did that made me famous, that I made a living off of. It, unless you are like Logan Paul or some, you know, it's not that easy to make a living on YouTube. So I've not really put all, and also if I haven't mentioned it or demonstrated, I have raging ADHD. So filming things, setting, and I'm a one man show. I mean, when I'm filming, imagine me in drag setting up the light, setting up the audio equipment, setting up the table, setting up everything. And then like also controlling the cameras myself. I used to have someone film it for me and now I figured out I can just kind of film it myself. But then having to edit it, like I have several episodes in the can that I've just not got around to editing. Some of them are years old already. But um, I have stopped focusing so much on the cooking show. I also do have my podcast, which I started. Um, May will be seven years. We've got mm. about 111 or 12 episodes. Wow. And um, more are coming. I just, anyway. Um, but uh, I, st you know, and I started the podcast. Honestly, can I tell you? I started the podcast because I was like, how do I profit off of being Honey LeBronx, the vegan drag queen? I'm like, I should do a podcast. Then I'll get subscribers who will just send me money every month. You do not start a podcast because you want to <laughs> make money. <laughs> if your name is Joe Rogan, go and start a podcast to make money. But like, listen. This, this podcast has only ever cost me money. Every now and then there's enough money there that like I used to have a co-host and she moved away. So if we needed to fly her in for an event, there'd be, oh, there's enough money for a plane ticket. That was so exciting. I'm like, there's enough money in our podcast account. We can buy a plane ticket. But um, now it just, it keeps expenses uh, uh, going. But the thing that I've really started focusing on lately um, you know, I'd got fired from yet another waiter job. I'm not a great waiter. Like physically, I'm I can handle the job, but like, do me. Let's demonstrate something. Ask me for. I'm the waiter. Ask me for like some more napkins. Please give me some more napkins. <laughs> so is that the, all? You you have the resting biatch face. As long as I'm going back for the napkins, is there anything else that you need? Kay. Are you sure? I'm positive. Okay. All right. I'll be right back with that. And I come back with the napkins and I was like, hmm. Oh, I need a fork. I forgot. <sighs> Anything else? No, I think that's Are it. you sure? <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not the waiter I would ever want to get. I am not. I was just, I, I was so over it. And I remember I got fired. I don't know why, but I got fired from my last table waiting job. I remember thinking, how do I get another table waiting job that pays off the books and blah, 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 blah. And I remember thinking after 16 years of waiting tables on and off, the fact that I am back where I started wondering mm. how I can get another waiter job. I'm like, 
this is a wheel I am stuck on. And I, the only way I've ever moved forward in my life is by like drawing a line in the sand and saying, I can't go back in that direction ever again. Like I will take an option off the table. Mm. So I'm like, I can no longer wait tables. So what am I going to do? And literally the thing that popped in my head was I'm going to be a global speaker on animal rights. And I don't know how I was going to make that happen, but I had $1,700 left to my name. So obviously that's the only money I have and I have no income. Mm -hmm. So I took that money and got rid of it. I spent it on a plane ticket to Iceland and Berlin. And I got myself booked to speak at the Berlin Vegan Summer Festival wow. and the Reykjavik uh, 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 Veg Fest. I didn't even know that Iceland had a Veg Fest. I, I go to Iceland a lot. That's I speak, fascinating. I, I speak Icelandic. I've been there seven times. I almost moved there to be a chef for a year. Uh. That could be a whole different podcast episode. Uh -huh. But um, I got myself booked to speak in Berlin, like the biggest Veg Fest in Europe. And they're like, what's your speech about? And I was like, hmm? oh, my... Spe yeah. Oh, my speech is about uh, inner, uh, and, uh, intersectional veganism. Yeah. And they're like, can you send us an abstract? And I'm like, what's an abstract? <laughs> oh, oh, yes. Can I send over two paragraphs describing what my speech is about? Sure. Oh, shit, shit, shit. So I just like made it up. I literally finished writing my speech five minutes before I first went to give it in Iceland. Wow. But here's the fun thing about that. Um, we all know who Leslie Jones is. Yes. Saturday Night Live, Ghostbusters. I've been a big fan of Leslie's for like 12 years now before anyone knew who she was. And uh, I wrote her like four years before this on Facebook just to say like, I do some of your comedy in my act as a drag queen. And she's like, oh my God, I love drag queens, blah, blah, blah. And I wrote her again. This was the day Ghostbusters came out. Literally, this is the day before the big Twitter storm happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So had I not written her on this day, who knows that any of this would have ever happened. And I wrote her, I'm like, I just want to say, it's me again. I wrote you four years ago. The drag queen, hi. I am so proud of you, if I can say that. Like, I have loved you for like a decade, but now the whole world loves you and you are in the movie of the summer and you are an SNL and you are slaying the game. She accepted my friend request. I shared a video with her of me performing a number that includes her comedy. She shared it on her Facebook. Oh, nice. And then I I had set up a fundraiser to pay myself back for the $1,700 to go to Iceland and Europe. I'm like, please help me go to become a speaker. I didn't mention that to her. But then it says, Leslie Jones commented on your fundraiser. And I'm like, what did she say about my fundraiser? And it said, go double check your fundraiser. Have fun in Iceland. Leslie Jones gave me $2,000 oh, to go start my new life Wow! as like a, as the vegan drag queen. And uh, the speaking turned into, I get myself booked at veg fests. And then there's a veg fest that didn't want me. They were like, we would love to book him, but does he have to do it in drag? And it's like, I don't think you get. What <laughs> and here's the thing. I would feel very weird being on stage as a guy emceeing a veg fest like if they're like hey we got ben from big fat vegan radio i'd be like yeah we can do that but like i'm not like a game show host you know mm -hmm. i'm a playwright i'm a i'm i'm a podcast host you know i'm an actor i'm a singer I, that's not emceeing veg fests is not what i do out of, that's honey's thing that is the, that is the brand i'm trying to build for her mm -hmm. so i remember and i needed the money and I had a contract sitting in front of me for my asking price, but it was like, we're just asking you to do this out of drag. And I remember as much as I needed the money, I'm like, no, this is not, that's not, it's not what I'm doing. 
And I remember thinking sort of like a, can I swear in this podcast? Yes. All right. Sort of like a fuck you to them. I remember thinking, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to say no to this. And then I'm going to show up in drag. I never ended up making it to the Red Chest and Drag. And I'm going to throw an official after party as a fundraiser for them. And I'm going to fundraise a thousand dollars for them and just, here's a thousand bucks. Have fun. And then once I finally started planning this, and then they were like, she's going to throw a fundraiser for us. Awesome. And then I was like, why would I be wasting that money for them when there's a animal farm animal sanctuary like in that city? So instead, I did the fundraiser for them uh, for uh, Heartland. Um, oh, I, I don't want to say where because I don't want to say which veg fest. No, where it is I, now. I did a fundraiser <laughs> for these two organizations, and I raised three hundred dollars for each fundraiser, and that means I made a good amount of money as well. And I finally realized like, I just made more. No, I had been a drag queen at that point for eight years. My drag mom is Bob the Drag Queen. She won season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. My drag sister, Ms. Cracker, was just on season 10 of RuPaul's Drag Race. And all my friends are these big famous drag... My, my, my drag aunt, Monet Exchange, just won all stars. Like All my friends have gone on to become these big, famous, world-famous drag queens. And then there's Honey LeBronx. And... For some reason, I've just never felt a draw to do nightlife. I've never felt drawn to like be on RuPaul's Drag Race. I've always been told that my last name, Strothman, roughly means the man who drained the swamp and settled himself there. So if you're one of us and you came across a swamp in the woods, you'd be like, I'm going to drain this swamp before that metaphor existed. <laughs> I'm going to drain this, and that's a lot of real estate. I could turn that into a castle. So like we're just a family of entrepreneurs. We're a family of people who've always just made our own way, made our own business, made our own company. And um, so for me, it was just... At the end, I just realized, like, why don't I just make my own path? And so I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I just did this one show. And I thought, now I have a thing where when I do veg fests, I can throw an after party for them. And then I'll make extra money off of them booking me. And then one day I'm like, what if I don't wait for someone to book me? What if I just start doing? And last year, January, I went back to Wisconsin. For whatever reason, I went back for three weeks to see my family. And Mm -hmm. while there... I thought, I should do a show while I'm here in Milwaukee. And then I thought, I should do a show in Madison again. That went so well last time. I'm like, wait, what about Chicago? It's right there. And then I'm like, wait, what if I went to Michigan? Completely forgetting Indiana is there. Uh, And I went to, so I did Ann Arbor, well, Ypsilanti, Michigan, Chicago, Madison, Milwaukee, and Minneapolis. Uh, with Miss um, Mistress Ginger, the other vegan drag queen who joined me on stage in Minneapolis. And in five shows I did in 10 days, I made the amount of money I had always thought, if I could just make this amount of money per month, I'd be set. I now had that amount of money Mm. and also raised the same amount of money for charity. I always feel so guilty about that fact that it's 50-50 because I feel like, oh my God, I can't be profiting. But it's like, I have to pay for the car rental. I have to pay for the gas, the tolls, the hotel rooms, whatever. I usually stay at someone's house, but if I have to get a hotel room, I do. Um, And so I realized in that moment, I'm like, this is what I'm going to do with the rest of my life or the Mm -hmm. foreseeable future. Since then, um, by the end of 2008, I had done 55 shows in 46 cities in four countries. And I raised... $27,468 for uh, mostly for the animals. And then I, towards the end, I started including LGBTQ organizations because I realized, first off, if I'm going to Ypsilanti, Michigan, 
and I'm inviting two animal rights organizations to bring people to the show, they're both asking the same people. Mm-hmm. If I ask a local chapter of PFLAG, Parents, Friends, and Families of Lesbians and Gays, if I invite PFLAG and Anonymous for the Voiceless, they're pulling from two totally different communities. Right. So each of them will raise the same amount of money for that cause, but then there's twice as many people potentially, and I make twice as much. <laughs> so um, I'm now doing it for animals and for LGBTQ equality, which I felt ashamed about at first. I'm like, I can't do that. That's not, that's not what, it, but I'm just like, I can also raise money for my people. But um, also what was, I didn't intend this, but now I have this LGBTQ group being brought into this conversation about animals, usually mm. for the first time. And in, in Scranton, Pennsylvania, the NEPA youth shelter had started working with the local animal sanctuary. And now they both do things together. The guy who runs, one of the people on the board for the shelter, he's like, oh my God, this food is so good. I could go vegan. He's constantly talking about I could go vegan and telling his friends how good it is. You get people... I, you I, brought I, them I, together. I end up bringing people together in at least three places. In the interest of time, I won't go into those stories, but in at least three different cities, I have like brought these people together and they've loved working together and they've admitted like, yeah, we found ourselves thinking differently about the animals after this. Correct. And yeah. the beautiful thing about this is that you're bringing, like we just mentioned, two different groups that probably you never thought that they would intermingle. For me, it never occurred to me. I mean, I do have gay friends. I know all the drag queens, like I said, but... Beyond that, you just never think, hey, we can be together as a people. I know that sounds crazy, but it does. And that's the beautiful thing about it. What I did want to ask, though, I we always remember LGBT. But when did the Q start? I don't know when the Q started. Or what what does the Q mean? Now, this is arguable. And again, I don't have the best understanding of this. um, But the Q, in my understanding, means queer. But I am also told, and this is debatable. But isn't that the same thing? Queer? Men gay? That's a great point. Queer originally was a derogatory term used towards gay people. Now, gay also used to refer to everyone in the umbrella. Well, it meant happy, but we, gay men adopted the term gay as a new word to describe what we are. Because back then, gay, if you'd said gay, the only thing people thought was like light and gay and happy and carefree. So we called ourselves gay. Um, that word was probably on the outs. I'm sure we had almost stopped using it. So we're like, we'll borrow that. Uh, and that used to mean everything and everyone under the umbrella. It was in the Flintstones. Was <laughs> it? We have a gay old time. Oh, right, right. I thought maybe they like dealt with homosexuality. No. <laughs> but um, now on a very special Flintstones. Um, so, but I think then, and I would, ima- I'm making this up, but I would imagine lesbians felt like, well, that doesn't refer to us because gay means gay. Because it's always going to be men who take it and run with it and assume that we're at the forefront of the movement and assume we speak for everyone. So um, women wanted their own term for that. And then there was people who are bisexual were like, I'm not just gay. I'm like partly that, partly this. So there's, we need a word to describe what we are. So then we came like LGB. I don't remember ever hearing LGB without the T. But then there's T, which is tr- people who are trans, which has nothing to do with your sexuality. Trans is, you could be gay, you could be st- heterosexual, you could be bi. Trans just means, well, my gender that I was assigned at birth doesn't identif- doesn't match with the gender I feel I am. So that's trans. But now Q, in my understanding, we used to be called queer as a derogatory term. And then gay men adopted the term queer to be like, yeah, we're queer, the queer community. We You can't, you can't, we took the power out of it. You can't hurt us by calling us something we call ourselves. That's what we identify as. Yes, we're queer. Thank you. 
over time that term because i think we kind of stopped using it so i think people used it to mean people who don't really believe in gender or subscribe to one gender or i'm sure there is someone out there losing their shit because like, that's not what i mean listen this is a cis straight no i'm not straight this is a cis <laughs> but i can play one on on tv um this is a cis white male's understanding of uh, uh of how they use queer but queer just means like not not living by the gender binary i'm not this or that i'm just whatever you are yeah i just am but questioning could be someone who's like i'm not really sure what i am i'm sort of in that process and then of course there's i which is intersex and there's a which is i believe asexual now i'm going to say something that this might be controversial but i'm like you can't just keep attaching things mm -hmm. onto that acronym because like gay and intersex we are not of the same community gay and trans we are not of the same community the only way we're of the same community is by putting us together in an acronym mm. the trans i am not a member of the trans community but you use that acronym and it assumes that we're all under one umbrella so i i do th i think people get frustrated like lgbtqia plus you have to say now because plus is also like leaving the door open for other things we don't know yet i'm just like Listen, America's problem with this is not the snowflakery. It is not the being special or being recognized. It's the syllables. We need fewer syllables. So I, I say we just use the word queer again to make I'm part of the queer community. And I think some people are starting to use the word queer again, taking it back to mean it's the whole umbrella. It's the whole queer community. I'm going with that. Queer to me now means you are L or G or B or T or I or A or what have you. <laughs> and I want to go a couple steps back. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that I don't know about the, the drag queen community. Yeah, uh, A lot of it I seen first introduced to it through RuPaul back mm -hmm. in, was it the 90s? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was yeah, yeah. big. Yeah. Um, the song, everybody's saying it. I have to um, say, he's gorgeous. Oh, my God. He's very. He's a very pretty man. No one is more beautiful in drag than RuPaul. Mm -hmm. Except, I guess, me. But. <laughs> <laughs> but you mentioned a few things that I wasn't aware of, but it sounds I'd love to know more about it because my core value is community. Yeah. And just hearing some of the things that you're mentioning, just lends itself to such a, a rich and connected community that... Mm creates um, multiple strands and layers and points of connection. And what I'm sp specifically speaking into is you said you're your drag mother and you're the aunt and explain that to me. I love that you said that. This is, I don't know that this is gonna make sense to anyone or this is gonna seem like such a simple thing. I can't explain to you how deeply I feel this. Lately, I am so in love with the concept of such a thing as community mm. the idea and i remember when i was sort of learning about community i took this course uh after there was a course i took called the landmark forum and after taking that there was the advanced course and then the self-expression and leadership program and in the self-expression and leadership program we started discussing community and like well what communities are you a part of and i'm like i don't know like the gay community and like the sober community and the i guess well the drag community and they're like that's it. They're like, well, your family is a community. Is it? Oh yeah. Well, the neighborhood you live in is a community. Yeah. And you started realizing anything that makes people something they have in common. Mm -hmm. Like, what about like some woman raised her hand? Like, what about women that date losers? Like, yes, <laughs> there is a women that date losers community. Right. And like the minute, like I got goosebumps talking about this, but the minute that I think about like 
women who date losers when they all come together and real mm -hmm. listen i used to live with bob the drag queen after i moved out Coleman moved in. After Coleman moved out, Caitlin, that Caitlin, Caitlin, who is friends with Ms. Cracker, she is Ms. Cracker's assistant, like, okay, Caitlin, time for dinner. That Caitlin, people know what that means. Uh, me and Coleman and Caitlin were all sitting around one day and we're like, oh Not my the God. Bruce Jenner, Caitlin. No. Okay. No. <laughs> oh, sorry, I had to take a step back. I'm like, no, this is Ka Caitlin May. Okay. Uh, hi, Caitlin. Um, me, Coleman, and Caitlin all realized we're like, oh my God, we've all lived with Bob. And there was this like mm -hmm. commiserating, like, we all have been through something we can't there's bob has a way of arguing that like i don't it doesn't matter who's right just bow out now bow out now bob will win any argument because he has a style of arguing that will wear you down <laughs> and bob wouldn't know that but anyone who's lived with him knows it and there was a suddenly there was a sense of community like we all get it we've been through that same thing i mean it can be what it could be the people who survived the titanic there's something I find so rich and warm and comforting about community and um, and the fact that like anywhere you look, you can find it. So you know? does Bob, when you say he's your drag mother, does that represent like the person who taught you how to drag? Kind of, in a way. I was already a drag queen. You know, you a drag mom could be the person who put you in drag for the first time or the person who mentored you along the way. Bob and I met in drag, literally. I was in drag. Bob was getting in drag. And we met and then we became friends and a few months into it, Bob had only been doing drag about two months longer than me, but he kept saying to me, he's like, you know, I really want to be your drag mom. And I was like, well, think about it. And then he was like, I really want to be your drag mom. So I was Bob's first drag daughter. Mm -hmm. Now the whole idea of a drag mom or daughter, it's kind of like if you're in recovery, you know, like someone has a sponsor and oh. then, or you sponsor someone, it's just someone who they sort of mentor you. You look up to them. They sort of guide you along the way. That's sort of what a drag mom is. But like I have a drag sister, Ms. Cracker. She, Bob is also her drag mom. So we have the experience that we're like sisters because we have the same mom. Well, um, Ms. Cracker's drag daughter, Juicy Lou, is like my drag niece because I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm your drag mom sister. There is that. There is a family of it. And so and now I have a drag daughter who moved to Miami for a short while. Her name is Allie. I gave her her last name. When I first met her, her last name was Kohal, Allie Kohal. And I'm like, I'm not. I'm Feeling no, it? No. And I was like, how do you feel about your name? She's like, well, and I'm like, good. So I have a spreadsheet. I'm like, you're attached to Allie, right? She's like, yes. I'm like, good. I have 70 different last names. So I'm Allie Shady, Allie Cat, Allie Lou. I loved Allie Lou. Allie... Ali Jazeera, right? That's great. And like none of them resonated with her. And I was like, you, there's, there's 75 options here. One of them has to be it. She's like, I, I didn't hear it. I'll know it when I hear it. I'm like, you are asking too much. And then the next day it hit me. I'm like, Gonza, Ali Gonza. And she's like, oh my God, that's it. I'm Ali Gonza. Like, like Eleganza, which is a drag thing. And so that's Ali Gonza is my drag daughter. Um, my drag mom is Bob the Drag Queen, winner of season eight of RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm -hmm. And then <laughs> Bob didn't have a drag mom, but she now got a drag mom. So that's, you can sort of like adopt a drag mom. Uh, you know. So she was in uh, San Francisco and there's a very famous drag queen out there named Peaches Christ, who is this huge impresario. She puts on all of these like parodies, um, like Troop Beverly Heels, um, Bob was in Legally Black. She did um, like the, one of like The Shining, but I forget what it was called. She does all these like stage parodies of shows, um, which Bob does. Bob cast me as Shemore in Little Shop of Whores back in the day. 
But so now Peaches Christ is Bob's mom. So when I, I, Bob was in Angels in America at Berkeley Rep. And when I went out to Berkeley to see it, Peaches was there out of drag. And Bob's like, um, honey, I would like you to meet your grandmother, uh, Peaches. This is honey, your drag granddaughter. And we're like, oh my God. And in that moment, like, I'm like, Peaches Christ is my, and then Peaches said to me, you know who your great grandmother is? Well, this would be Peaches drag mom. And I'm like, who? Elvira. The Elvira? The Elvira. Big Elvira? Yes. And now people are always shocked. Wow. But how is she a drag yeah. queen? How is she not a drag <laughs> queen? Look at her. Drag does not mean I am a man dressing as a woman. And it does not Men do just... drag queen. Yeah. And yes. they do drags and they're straight or... Yeah, absolutely. But... Drag has nothing to do with your, with your sexuality or your gender. You can be a woman doing drag. And I don't mean a drag king. I mean, there are women out there who do exactly what I do. Wow. They are, you know, by physically, they were born and identified as a, a female um, and were assigned female at birth. Um, but they also do exactly what I do. Uh, Faludes, which is a play on the word Quaaludes, which is an old drug. Faludes uh, in Chicago. Hi, Faye. Um, Melissa Elliott. She's a very well-known drag, a, a, a vegan and author. She now makes her full-time living as a drag queen in Chicago. I did yeah. not know that either. That's very fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, let's get into your name really quick. Um, honey LeBron. LeBron's I get because you, you've lived in New York, but Honey. Yes. Uh, it just popped up. Okay. If you ever ask a drag queen how they got their name, be no. prepared for a really boring story. <laughs> it's never as interesting as what you would think. But uh, I, I remember when I first had drag inclinations in my teens, I was like, Roberta Mystique, that will be my name. So that's sort of like my, if I ever checked into a hotel and I was really famous, it would probably be under the name Roberta Mystique. So nobody knows. <laughs> but one, I remember the first time I ever heard, I was watching, okay, so I was watching Beaches like you do when you're a gay third grader. And when she said to uh, Hillary Whitney, uh, when Cece Bloom said, well, I don't technically live in Manhattan. I live in the Bronx. Hearing the word the in a sentence where I'm saying the name of the city I live with, you would not say... I live in the Miami. <laughs> I live in the New York. I live in the Wauwatosa, Wisconsin. <laughs> but hearing I live in the Bronx, it just struck my ear odd. And I loved hearing it. Like, the Bronx? What sounds tougher than the Bronx? And when I first got to New York and I would hear people say the Bronx, I just loved the sound of it. I remember thinking, I wonder in Spanish, would they say La Bronx? And I, La Bronx. Honey, La Bronx. That will be my drag name if I ever do drag. That's how it happened. Hey. You're God right. gave that it was to me. Boring. God gave it to me. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> Shady. <laughs> I love it. No, I'm, I actually I never thought about it. Like the, the whole the Bronx thing. Like I've never heard it. Is it is it like technically the Bronx or the is it Bronx? Bronx. If if you are on your way to the Bronx, you'll hear on the train. This is a Bronx bound train. Mm. Or if I'm mailing something to the Bronx, I would say Bronx, New York. Mm -hmm. it's kind of different like if it's written it's one way if it's directional it's a different way you couldn't say this is a the bronx bound train or you wouldn't write the bronx new york as an address you could um but You'll yeah figure it out I mean, them's the rules. how dumb do you have to be not to know that that's bronx new york the fact that there's a definite article in the name like you yeah. can't you can't take it out if I moved to the Bronx, I'm like, yeah, I just moved to Bronx. Like, this is my first time. Oh, my God, I have an apartment in Bronx. People will be like, where are you from? I'm from Bronx. <laughs> no, you're not. I want to I wanna turn it a little bit more serious now. I yeah, know yeah. Um, when we were doing our research for this, but um, 
you being a gay man in the LGBTQ community and being as a vegan, I mean, there must have been some shade. There must have been people who don't accept you or anything like that. Or even even the own community, either or, kind of criticizing you that you're over here doing these things for the animals and not caring about the rights of, of the gay community. I, I, you know, you would, uh, people always ask that. And I think you would assume that naturally that, that happens. I don't think I've experienced that any more than any other vegan gets it. Like any, we've all heard you care more about animals than mm -hmm. you do about people. And it's like, well, of course I do. Have you met people? I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but we're all accused of caring more about animals and more about people. We're all accused of, you know, like, and I, a friend of mine from, um, from a uh, school whose name I'm not going to say, um, but it rhymes with smelly Valentine. There we go. Um, uh, she was like, well, I think that's great what you're doing, but I'd rather make the world a better place for people. The vocal fry. I was just, I was reading into it. And it's like, as if those two things are mutually exclusive. Um, no, anything more than like the people, you know, giving me hell about like not eating meat, whatever. Um, but I mean, like I do fight for, you know, yeah. LGBTQ equality. So it's like, you can't, I'm living my life, living as your life as a gay man is in itself an act of defiance, you know? So I don't really think I've got that. If anything, I just get people who try to act like you can't care about more than one thing at a time. And it's like, okay, well, do you have, you know, who's your family? You have, you have parents, you have siblings. Yeah. I have my mom and my dad and I have two brothers. And it's like, okay, do you love your older brother or your younger brother? It's like, well, I love them both. And it's like, you can't love them both. You can't. It's like the same thing. As I say in my speech about pro-intersectional veganism, which to summarize that, because there's not going to be time to go into everything, but my elevator pitch one sentence version of this 45 minute speech, which you can go on YouTube and type it in. If you're going to go on YouTube and look it up, look up the most recent, the I think 2018 version of my pro intersectional vegan speech you'll know me because i have like a big red like big red fro on and the other one it's an updo so the one where i'm wearing like the blue top is that it yeah the blue top not the purple dress anyway the 2018 version is on youtube you can watch the whole speech there but in one sentence the way i would define pro intersectional veganism is to say this if you would never say i don't care about women I don't care about black people. I don't care about Muslims. I don't care about the elderly. I don't care about the handicapped. If you would never say that, then you have to realize that's exactly what you're saying if you ever say, I only care about animals. Now, there are some animal rights mm. activists out there. We know who they are, who are like, no, I only care about animals because that's the only suffering that matters because no matter what, people are all so privileged and it is always like, straight white men saying this, but they're like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just going to go after him. Gary Yurofsky. We all know him on YouTube because like best speech you'll ever hear. I agree. Everything he says in that speech is wonderful. I do not like Gary Yurofsky. I do not. He has said horrible things about people of color. He has had said horrible things about Palestinians. Uh, I'm very outspoken about the fact that I am absolutely, if I have to do it alone, I will stand for Palestine. If it's the last thing I ever do, it is apartheid. It is a military occupation. It is it is wrong for all the reasons that we think what we're doing at the border is wrong. And, and there's that. But he was like, the Palestinians are the stupidest people in the world. And, and then he was talking about how Black Lives Matter. He's like, he's like, you something about how you have no right to complain because you're still people at the end of the day, and your suffering has not it can't even compare 
to what the animals go through. I'm like, yeah, you're right. They don't compare. Why are we comparing them? It has nothing to do with each other. Are there common threads? Perhaps, but there's not time to make that kind of an argument. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I tell people, listen, we're people who try to act like, oh, well, the animals are all that matter. They're only suffering. I'm like, oh, really cool. So must be easy being you walking at home, walking home at night from the protest, not even worried about walking down that dark alley when you're only five foot two and a woman. Mm-hmm. You know, I when I lived on 44th and 10th in New York City, I've since moved. Um, but I remember walking towards my apartment once. I was hanging out with this woman who's also in recovery. I will not say girl anymore unless she is under the age of 18. I'm trying to train myself. Like, you would never go to the bank and be like, yeah, talk to the boy behind the counter. You'd be like, why did you say that? <laughs> be like, talk to the girl behind the counter. We just say it. Um, so <laughs> this young woman uh, who I, we were talking and talking and talking, and this is like in Times Square. I'm like, it's getting late. Do you want to walk me in the direction of my apartment? And she like looks down 44th Street and it looks dark to her from 8th to 10th. And she's like, yeah, no, I don't feel safe walking back from there. And I'm like, oh, right. You're like a five foot nothing thin. And she's also worked on an exotic dancer. So like I see it happening. She walks on the street. I see all the guys mm-hmm. like turning and objectifying her. Not that I don't do that to guys when I walked on the street. So like I remember hearing all this stuff about me too. And I'm like. Well, not all men. Oh, my God. Even I have my hashtag not all men moment. But I was like, well, not all men. I'm not like that to women. It's like, duh, idiot. Because you're not sexually attracted to women. That's why. How are you to other guys at the gym or walking down the street? I'm like, oh. Watch out, Miami men. Honey, LeBronx is in town. Girl, I am so sorry. Uh, there's a reason I was late today. I had to stop and look at some. And my friend was say, my friend who just moved here. He's like, yeah, but they're all beautiful, but they have no personality. I'm like, I don't need them to have a personality. I said something much more graphic than that. But um, but yeah, like seeing. So anyway, yes, all men are horrible. But see, but like. Sorry, Sean. See, <laughs> listen, you know. But seeing this, what this woman had, like, I'm like, oh, she can't just walk. And when I first moved to New York, I had a male and a female roommate. And when we were looking for apartments, I was like, this apartment's great. She's like, I would not feel safe walking to the train. The experiences are different when you come from different backgrounds and you are different genders, different colors, et cetera, et cetera. So I can understand that. Or you're you're walking home from the protest. You're like, when the police show up at the protest, it would never even occur to me to be like, well, yeah, they'll... I'll, I'll just explain what's happening because that's the kind of world I live in, you know? But like we, we've all seen what's happening on the news to people of color for me to act like that doesn't matter. Like I won't ever have to deal with that on my way to a protest. Like these are people who on their way to fighting for animals, they also have to fight things. I won't have to fight. Mm, so I mean, not, not only should I be sensitive to that for the same reasons that I'm vegan, but like, wouldn't it be in my best interest and in the animal's best interest to help alleviate the other obstacles people have in the way of their showing up to fight for the animals? Like for me, what it boils down to is self-awareness and empathy. And even when, and what women go through, no, or even what like what people of like people call the black people, African-Americans, what we go through. I look at, how someone could not be compassionate or compassionate or invested in in our fight. This and the way I do that is by thinking about how invested I am in the fight that women go through. And it's, oh my God, so well said. And it, and it's and I look at that and it's like and that's where the self awareness comes from. It's yeah. like holy crap. Yeah. Like 
it's like I it's not like I don't care that you're going through it. It's just I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about what I'm going through. So what how you how I come how I would combat that? Well, how I combat that is creating platforms where people can speak and bringing communities together. That's my strength, my gift, and that's what I'm focusing on. But how I would combat that is by education, by having people share their experiences mm-hmm. so people can have that aha moment because you're just creating that space for them to come to their own realization. And I, you mentioned Landmark. I'm, I, go through, I went through a similar program called Gratitude that was oh. built off of Landmark. So well, um, I haven't heard of this. So, um, so yeah, so all these things, that leads to self-awareness, which then creates a pathway to empathy, which allows you to then figure out what your place how you can contribute yeah. to the conversation and and that's a powerful place to, to operate from mm-hmm. i just feel like that's that's such a testament to the power of storytelling because it can't be conceptual you can't explain it to me the moment i hear a story and i can see myself in it mm-hmm. like when i when i was talking to my friend and i'm like yeah let's just walk me back to my apartment and i saw her picturing walking there and she didn't feel safe i could see myself in that and, um, you know, before I lived with Bob, Bob, the, Bob, the drag queen is black. So uh, I always say technically as a drag queen, I'm biracial because my mom is black. I'm just kidding. That's funny, but it's not. Um, <laughs> but when I lived with Bob, I became so aware of so many things I had never thought about. And I'm kind of ashamed of that because I'm like, I was 34. How did I never think about these things? Or maybe I was 32. I forget how old. Because you're not in that lifestyle. And that's yeah. what I love about the podcast that we do. That's why I love um from the different people that we bring in because like Sean said, it is about education. Sometimes you're in this bubble that your circumstances that you have created, but then you don't get, doesn't allow you to see what maybe the other person sees. And then when you start bridging that gap with conversation, with introductions, with like, Hey, how are you? I'm Alba. Nice to meet you, whatever. And then you can hear their stories, that bubble burst. And then you get to see a different side. You know what will burst my bubble? Bob and I were walking somewhere one day and we stopped at the bodega. Do we use that term outside of yes. New York City? Okay, the bodega. Look it up. Uh, we stopped at the bodega. I went in for the I ones who something. don't know. Bodega. Bodega. I don't even. Does that word have an original origin? Does it mean it's something? It's Latin. It's like the corner store. Okay, in perfect. Spanish. Perfect. It was created by Madonna, right? Was it? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, she adopted someone from bodega. Um, <laughs> Not at least she just walked out with them. She's like, you're mine now. So uh, we went to the bodega and I stopped in. There. It was my choice to stop in there because I needed something. So Bob comes in with me. We both get whatever we got and now we leave. Now we each have a little like plastic bag with us. And I realized I'm like, oh, I forgot the thing that I even needed to go in there for in the first place because ADD. So I'm like, oh, come back in. I, I forgot I have to get one more thing. He's like, I'll, 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 I'll wait out here. And I'm like, well, come back in the store with me. He's like, I, I'll just wait here. I'm like, what? Why? He's like, I have a bag. They'll think I stole. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, no, they won't. Oh my God. Like my first instinct was you're crazy. You're making this up. And then it hit me. I'm like, I'm telling you what you experience isn't. And, I, and then it, fi- it suddenly hit me. I'm like, we literally just occupy two different worlds. The mm-hmm. world you, you can walk into the same store and the experience I have is not what you'll experience. And I think that's the first time that like, I, I, this sounds wrong, but that's like the first time I lived it. Like the first time mm. I was put in someone else's shoes to see like, oh, you won't, like you can't walk in. I want you to walk in and it's almost like you can't fit through the door right now. Mm. And that's the first day that I started trying to educate myself. Now I can never give myself being a black person. I'll never get to experience that. But I try as much as I can to like inform myself about mm-hmm. it. Like I'll just put on 
people on YouTube who are like speaking about the black experience. There was a woman, I forget her name. God, she was so brilliant. And she's giving this speech, not to like trauma share, but she was sharing about what happened. Oh my God, growing up in the public school system, what we are taught about our history and about like the African experience in this country is so truncated and sanitized and plastic wrapped and just sugar-coated. You would almost mistake it for something edible and sweet. Mm-hmm. Where it's like it's almost like we're like, yeah, we like we took people over here and we didn't formally invite them, and then like we made them work, but we didn't really give them great conditions. Like that, and then, but then we set them free. Mm-hmm. You would never know. Like mm-hmm. I, I wrote this one song to the tune of um, "White Christmas," but I benefit from white privilege with every taxi cab I hail. It's brilliant. It's on YouTube. Find it. <laughs> but before I wrote that, I didn't want to just be cheeky about it i thought i'm gonna i better really research Mm. this so i know what the hell i'm talking about and i saw a diagram of a slave ship Mm. and i read about the triangle passage and like it is horrific oh my god i mean it's 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 traumatic i I think Mm. it would would traumatize people to hear about it i do want to mention something you did say that you can't really put yourself in the skin I, i remember reading a book um black like me it was mm. an experiment that was done, I think, in the 1960s or 50s. Um, I, uh, I research, I don't quote me, but I cannot remember the author was a researcher or whatever, or a socialist, something like that, something to do with socialism that he studied. He actually used black paint. He dressed himself up as that, uh, as a black uh, African-American person, yeah. and he wanted to study the differences. And if you read the book, it was very eye-opening for me. Wow. And it's called Black Like Me. I've heard of it. Somehow I knew you were going to say it, though I just heard the name of the book. I've never read it. But like when I started educating myself about these things, I realized first off that I can't make an informed decision because so much of the information has been kept from me. Fast forward to in this country, all of our school textbooks come from Texas, the company that controls them and runs them and prints them. That's where they're located. So the local Texas government has everything to say about what we get taught in this country and when that's been addressed like why don't we talk about this they're literally their thought is like we don't want to create a lot of like antipathy towards white people and it's like so instead you're going to create antipathy towards white people because you don't want to it's so ridiculous it's just like just let the information be out and let's just get through it rather than having these like hundreds of years of trying to pretend that it didn't happen but when I started to, there was a reason I went into that. When I started to learn about that, um, I, I, I just got hungry for like more knowledge. I'm like, I want to just face it, like rip the bandaid off. Like what's everything that actually happened? And this woman, I was watching a YouTube video and she's giving this speech talking about like the ugly truth about what it looked like. And after showing us this footage, she's like, a lot of you are having reactions to what you just saw, what you just heard about. She's like, now listen, if I brought a dog up here on stage right now and I like bludgeoned that dog to death, more than half this room would need therapy to deal with what they just witnessed. Now you imagine being told that this is your history, this is your heritage, this is what you 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 or even the things that you have had happen to you. And she's like, imagine how many people are walking around traumatized and they're not even allowed the proper treatment or therapy to 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 work through that. And then what do we tell people? We tell people like, well, it doesn't exist. We're ca- like, oh, that doesn't exist. We're, we're post-racial because Obama happened or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's like, I, I just, I, 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 if, if I subscribe to the idea that we're all, wa- oh, this is so stupid mm-hmm. to say what I'm about to say. I'm going to say something stupid. I don't love Bill Maher, 
But Bill Maher was once in his stand-up act talking about this woman. He's like, I dated this woman. And she was like, when we make love, there's no you, there's no me. We're just one. And he said, okay, well, can we pay a bit more attention then to our dick? That was a funny <laughs> joke because it works. But if you subscribe to the notion that we're all one, then I'm like, I got to make sure, is everyone good? Like, are you good? Are you good? Like, are they good over there? Because if they're not, then I'm not. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, if there's suffering anywhere, there's suffering everywhere. Yeah. And I can't imagine having a moment's peace for myself so long as the animals are suffering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, to wrap it up. <laughs> no, I love this. I wish we could have more time, but let's talk about your show. Yeah. Tonight, oh, right. yes. tonight, you're going to perform yes. in Fort Lauderdale. Tonight, I'll be performing in Fort Lauderdale. No, I don't know when people will hear this, but tonight is Fort Lauderdale. And then um, uh, Tuesday, the 20th, you can go to vegandragqueen.com mm -hmm. and just click on events and you will see an up-to-date list of all my shows because I installed the Facebook plugin for my WordPress and so it automatically populates my shows. But uh, yes, I'm going to be doing um, here and then St. Petersburg and then Jacksonville and then Charleston, South Carolina, then savannah georgia we're working all the details and then maybe one more place like orlando or tampa and then playa del carmen go to orlando i mean orlando they did have that massive shooting a couple of years back yeah. at the um at the gay club but I, th but I think more importantly than where because they can go to the website because this definitely won't be out by the time you hit orlando yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah. but as far as what could because i know you continue to do these shows what yeah. could they expect and what's you know give us a little bit of a taste of what this event actually is the show is basically just 90 minutes of me bullshitting with the audience and lip syncing and occasionally live singing and just step touching and bringing shame to my family that's pretty <laughs> much it while people throw money at me for a good cause. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Like, I, my show is like some part stand-up, some part improv, mm -hmm. some part drag show, some part, you know... Singing and dancing. Recital. <laughs> um, yeah, just, it's a little bit of everything. My sh Honestly, my show is just you for 90 minutes being held captive against your will and being forced to indulge the whims of a drag queen, <laughs> whether or not you are consenting to it. That's basically my show. And it benefits um, this this today's show. It actually benefits um, Jordan David's um, yes. Friends Not Food, Conscious yes. Muscle. He's been in our podcast. Has he? Yes. We're uh, going to drop his uh, episode hopefully soon. Yes. And uh, AV, Anonymous for the Voiceless. Anonymous for the Voiceless. Listen, I love Anonymous for the Voiceless. I love the work that they do. But I am the queen of... Listen, I, I would rather... If, if you guys said, do you want to erase this whole episode and just talk for an hour about your spreadsheets? I'm like, can we talk about my spreadsheet? I keep a spreadsheet on everything. And um, Anonymous for the Voiceless, they keep stats on, we have had this many demonstrations in this many cities, in this many countries. We have had this many conversations with people who, according to our measures... We can say to our satisfaction, they left the conversation taking veganism seriously and mm -hmm. like that they have that kind of, mm. of feedback. And the other reason I fundraise for them so often is because on their website, they have a Google map of every chapter they have around the world. And when you click on that map, it gives you the Facebook link for the Facebook group for that local chapter so I can get in touch and see who their organizers are. Oh, nice. So they've made it very easy for me to look at the world map and see, is there an active, engaged vegan community oh, yeah. there? We have AV down here with yeah. the Miami chapters and the Fort Lauderdale chapters. They yeah. are very massive so, and they're very very good friends of ours literally i use their maps to plan my tours which just drives home the point at the end of the day like if you want someone to do a fundraiser for you or help your cause or join forces make yourself very findable and you know 
have an Instagram, have a YouTube page, make your YouTube page, a Facebook page rather, have your Facebook page set up so people can message you through the YouTube page. That is how I message every bar that I work at. That is how I message every organization I approach them about, about doing a fundraiser. And uh, if they, and then if I do agree to do a fundraiser with them, but they don't have an Instagram, I'm like, why am I doing a fundraiser with you? Because you don't have a following that you can get the word out to. And why bother doing a fundraiser at your bar if people who follow me aren't then going to be able to click through and follow you as well? It's like you are wasting so much traffic and so much potential Potential if you aren't on it Instagram. It is the power of social media. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it took me a while. For a while, I was like, why Instagram? And now it's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I look at Instagram. <laughs> you're really missing out if you're not on Instagram. By the way, I also have to say, so many people, it's so frustrating with me when I, I hope I'm not going to interrupt time. When, when I work with people on these fundraiser shows, I basically tell them, look, there's going to be work involved. You're going to have to do a lot of work, but literally it's a copy paste job. I already did the work for you. Here is the poster. Here is the press release. Here is the Facebook event. And here is a pre-typed Instagram post with all the hashtags already in it for your area because I have a survey that fills out a form and I ask you, what are the local hashtags? So flow vegans. And um, when I work with people, I'm like, don't just look at this like it's an opportunity to raise money for your, for your cause this one time or like it's you trying to bring an audience for me for my show, which is really all it is. But really at the end of the day, would you what would it be like for you to have a breakthrough in your ability to cause guests to come to events and i take every trick and every tip that i've ever learned how to make that happen like i'll give you a free one and you called me on this yesterday thank god you called me i could not hear you because i was in the car <laughs> but you called me and you're like the thing that you posted on instagram you posted the wrong poster basically for the wrong text and i also caught a different mistake i made because you pointed it out to me so thank you but the way you're that welcome. you saw that is because i tagged you yes. in the instagram post now why did i tag you in the instagram post because i thought oh i'm working with them on their podcast i should take them no because i typed in so flow veg and hit search you can tag up to 20 people on instagram so before you finalize that post if you want people to see it use all 20 tags and you will get people people will be like oh someone tagged me in a post what is it i get so many people who will share my post because they're like a vegan drag queen's coming to my city yeah i'll share that i'll come people come to events people share my events because i think to use it so there's all these little tips and tricks that i like to teach people so when you work with me on a fundraiser show not only do we raise a lot of money not only do you get to come to an awesome vegan drag show that is customized just for your community and the things you care about but you also are basically getting paid to do it but even more than that you, if you really take it on and i i'm i'm a first-time playwright and i did a show i did my first play a couple of years ago and they weren't going to let me do it on the main stage i had to do it in like the little cabaret which means i had to shorten my show to 60 minutes which i'm like it can't be done it's an 85 minute show. look we're trying to keep me to an hour and it's not working <laughs> and i'm like why can't i do it on the main stage or like no solo act is gonna fill a 100 seat theater and i thought first of all when you tell a drag queen something's impossible you've just paved the way for her i'm like great it's already done because you told me i can't do it i kept a spreadsheet mm -hmm. on every single person I had a conversation with. And this might seem like that's a lot of work. No, it made it short work because I didn't have to remember who have I spoken with. Wait, did you say yes or no? I made a spreadsheet. I didn't have to remember it. I augmented my memory with technology. And 
I came up with a system for re- for like being able to cause people at the end of the show, like the day of the show, they're like, listen, we have a line out the door. We can either send them home or we can put an extra couple of rows of seats on the stage. And I'm like, put more folding chairs on the stage with me. We'll do it that way because I oversold a show that mm-hmm. they didn't think I'd be able to fill up enough. So I've learned how to do that. And if people want a breakthrough, if people, if, if that would be a value for people to learn how to do that, come find me and have me do a fundraiser show for you. And actually if people want me to do a fundraiser show, here's people are always like, you should come to Portland. You should come to where I'm like, I know I should come there, but I'm not going to, what am I going to do with that information? Try to remember that someone said that <laughs> let's not, let's not be crazy. Go to vegandragqueen.com, Click on tour. Underneath there, you will see four surveys. You will see come to my city. You will see I can host you in my home. You will see I'm an organization or I'm a venue. So if you're like, hey, you should perform at my venue. Go vegandragqueen.com, click on tour, click on venue, fill out the survey so I have all the information. That will populate to a Google map that will show me here are all the venues where I've been offered to perform. Or here are all the people who have host who've offered to host me in their home. So when I'm on the road, I'm like, Oh, I don't need to go to a hotel. 20 miles that way is someone who said I could stay with them. And people who want me to come to their cities, I can literally see a city map that shows me, well, there's 20 people that want me to come to Portland. There's two people that want me to come to, you know, Miami. I guess I'm going to organize my tour around Portland. Mm -hmm. So if you want me to fundraise for your organization, that's how to get my attention. Fill out the survey and reach out to me and I'll, I'll try to make it work. And not only will you get a lot of money, but you'll also have a breakthrough in causing guests to come to your events. Yes. And in closing, what are some final remarks that you would like to leave with our audience, our listeners, our viewers to let them know, um, you know, just kind of summarizing everything that we've talked about. What are some closing remarks that you, you have? No matter who you are or where you come from or what you've gone through in your life, you, and I don't mean like you generally, I mean you, the specific person listening to this right now, you are not and never will be good enough. So just like, let it go. That ship has sailed. Do you know what I mean? No, I'm kidding. Could you imagine if that's right? Um, no, what would I like to put a button on this? Um, my God, that's like, that's like, oh, there's, there's so much to say. Um, what would I like? Okay, there might be an editing moment here where we pretend that it didn't take me a moment. Ask me the question one more time. So this is essentially your your Jerry Springer final thought. Yeah. My my Jerry Springer final thought. Um, there's a lot more in common that unites us than there is that divides us. And as I like to say in my speech, when people try to act like you can't care more about one thing, I like to remind them that like, Compassion kind of works like, you know, a candle. Like I remember being in church as a kid and around, I forgot what holiday it was, like Christmas or Easter. We'd have that one flame and then everyone has an empty candle and you come up and you, everyone's lighting their candle from the same flame. Then you turn and you pass it to your neighbor and light their candle. And so, and pretty soon the entire church is lit up by like hundreds of candles. That is how compassion works. Mm -hmm. When you extend your compassion to someone or somewhere you've never extended it before, your compassion grows and doubles and amplifies. I say compassion is like a muscle. The more you use it, the more you flex it, the more it grows and the stronger it gets. Now that sounds great and bumper stickery, but then the question is, okay, so then how can I have compassion for Trump voters? How can I have compassion for Trump? 
I know. I see the look on your faces. And it's like, I don't want to have compassion for Trump. But it's like, okay, if I don't have compassion for Trump, then I'm refusing to let my heart grow in a certain direction. And if I can figure out how to have compassion for Trump, that's a then I mm-hmm. win. I gain something. Mm-hmm. Now, my family is mostly Trump supporters. And I ask myself, well, how can I? And for the longest time, I could not. I could not figure out how do I love my parents when they voted for this man? And then I put myself in their shoes. And I'm like, if the world looked to me the way the world looks to Trump's supporters, I would probably be really scared. I mean, for a bunch of reasons that don't really exist. But Mm. that fear would be real. And I would be acting out of that kind of fear. And I would be taking the option that I thought would keep my family safe. And I probably wouldn't feel like taking a risk or voting this way or that way. I'd probably go this way. I'm not saying that's the only way to do it, but like there, if there is always Julia Cameron who wrote the artist's way used to say, or maybe still says, don't use your creativity to find a way out of it. Use your way to your creativity to find a way into it. And when I can figure out a way to extend my compassion to someone else, especially when I don't want to include them in my compassion, I, I win. And when I say that, I want to end by saying, like, we all have so much more in common than not. So as a, not just a vegan, but as a highly judgmental, preachy, better than you vegan, um, I have to Uh remember everyone's on their damn journey. Mm -hmm. And I hate that. But the longer I stay vegan, the more I start to recognize, like, oh, this vegan went back to eating meat. Or this person is vegan but they they quote own three and a half horses don't get me started or this person's vegan but they i just have to remember everyone is on their damn journey i did not get where i am because anyone pushed me in this direction people just kind of like left the way open and i whether they cleverly left certain doors open knowing i'd walk through them the point is i walked in this Mm -hmm. direction Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm where I am today because my journey led me here. I hate saying with that. I hate closing with that. But I it's the thing that guides me and gives me peace is remembering everyone's on their journey. And the more I can we were okay, I'll close with this. I was watching Queer Eye season three. There's an episode where there's this one woman who's a the hunter. new one or the old one? The new one. And this woman, she's like, I just love going out and shooting a squirrel and knowing I brought home dinner. And I'm like, that's not dinner. I'm like, at least shoot a deer. And one life is going to last more meals than like, you have to kill five squirrels a day to eat. Oh my God, don't get me started. And my friend who's not vegan, but I'm staying with him in Tampa. He's like, oh my God, like aside from the hunting and everyone like looks at me for the hunting part, like how do you feel about this? But like the hunting aside, who she is as a person, he's like, oh my God, I love her. He's like, oh my God, she's so cute. I like her so much. And they're assuming that I'm not going to like her. And I'm like, I love this woman. Like I experienced love for her. If I didn't mention the hunting part, you would already be feeling that same love I feel Mm -hmm. for her just because I saw her journey and they're like, well, what do you think about her? I'm like, she's a fellow human being and a fellow child of God who is on her journey. And when I say God, I define God as a form of spiritual electricity that I can access when I stay out of my own way. That's all God is Mm -hmm. to me. The most important part is staying out of my way. How do I stay out of my own way? I ask myself, how can I have compassion for this person, especially when I don't want to? And I remind myself that that person is on their journey. 
So vegandragqueen.com. I'm going to put duct tape over my mouth because I have to stop there because <laughs> what more can I say? <laughs> we would like to thank Honey LeBronx for being in our podcast, for saying yes, literally within five minutes of meeting me over the phone, never saying no, just said, let me take out my schedule and we'll do it. Yep. This is Alba Mendez for SoFlo Vegans. All right. See you guys next time. Thank you. Ah!